is here. Now, broadcasting from the underground command post, deep in the bowels of a hidden bunker, somewhere under the brick and steel of a nondescript building, we've once again made contact with our leader, Mark Levin. Numbers 877-381-3811, 877-381-3811. Literally just got back two hours ago from a wonderful event at KRLA Country, a wonderful uh, affiliate in Los Angeles, and a great lineup at Salem. And we had a wonderful time. Had to be 1,000 or 1,500 people there. Uh, but I did want to come back and do the program, but I want to thank uh, Mr. Atzinger, and my buddy Phil Boyce and everybody else associated with that outstanding station, KRLA. Just terrific. My wife and I went, and we just returned. Now, I never stopped working on this program. I never stopped working on this program. I'll demonstrate to you. There's a lot going on, and we need to get into all of it. Justice Stephen Breyer was on Fox News Sunday. I would give my right arm to interview Justice Stephen Breyer, but he would never do my show. Not because I'm a right-winger, but because I understand the Constitution at least as well as he does. And so when you have an associate justice of the Supreme Court there, I think one of the questions you ask that justice, from my own perspective anyway, is about Article 2, Section 1, Clause 2. This was a big deal in the Commonwealth of Pennsylvania. It was a big deal when it comes to the federal and state constitutional processes. We've talked about it at length here. What does it say? Each state shall appoint in such manner as the legislature thereof may direct a number of electors equal to the whole number of senators and representatives to which the state may be entitled in the Congress. But no senator, representative, or person holding an office of trust or profit under the United States shall be appointed an elector. You see, the power, the broadest power possible, is given to the state legislatures. Specifically, purposely, under the United States Constitution. Now these men who gathered in Philadelphia, they understood what they were doing. They created the Constitution. 
They created the federal government. They created the presidency and the vice presidency. They created the electoral college. They created separation of powers. And they created Article 2, Section 1, Clause 2. In such manner as the legislature thereof may direct, comma. Now in the state of Pennsylvania, the Commonwealth of Pennsylvania, you had a gross, a grave violation of the federal constitution by the Supreme Court of Pennsylvania. As much as you had a violation of the constitution by the Florida Supreme Court in 2000. Actually, this was worse. The difference is the U.S. Supreme Court in 2000 stepped in and upheld the United States Constitution. And one of the arguments people were making, including me, was exactly this section of the Constitution, Article 2, Section 1, Clause 2. As the Florida Supreme Court kept changing the deadlines and the manner in which you would count chats. They kept extending the deadlines. They kept interposing themselves into how chads are to be counted. They were violating the federal constitution. And the U.S. Constitution put an end to it. The U.S. Supreme Court, under the U.S. Constitution, put an end to it. Because the legislature makes these decisions. Not the Florida Supreme Court. Well, what happened in the Commonwealth of Pennsylvania was even worse. Because what happened there is also an elected, in this case, Supreme Court of seven members, five of them were Democrats, They extended the time for voting. They eliminated the signature requirement. And they did other things that the legislature in Pennsylvania, which was Republican, did not do. And so there was precedent for the U.S. Supreme Court stepping up to the plate when an appeal was made to the U.S. Supreme Court. But they could only find two, maybe three justices who were prepared to do so. Clarence Thomas, Sam Alito, and I believe Gorsuch. Hollywood Roberts is very much concerned about how he's portrayed in the New York Times and the Washington Post. He's also best buddies, I understand, with Thomas Friedman. He's gone Hollywood, he's gone Washington, he's gone rogue. As for the others, the other two appointed by Trump, they've become a disgrace in my humble opinion. Associate Justice Amy has decided that she did not want the attacks on her to continue, that she was appointed for, among other things, to interfere in the election. And the other one, well, they beat the hell out of him, so he's so much the coward right now, Kavanaugh. So there's... Justice Stephen Breyer on Fox News Sunday, and he's asked a question. Cut 21, go. One of your arguments against seeing the court as political is the fact that it refused to even hear the appeals from the Trump camp about the 2020 election. Didn't even hear them. No, no the, 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 the real question, in my opinion, would have been to cite the United States Constitution, to cite the precedent of the U.S. Supreme Court in Bush versus Gore, to explain what the Florida Supreme Court did in the Pennsylvania Supreme Court, and you really have to be knowledgeable about these things to ask the question, and then ask the justice, why didn't the court take up the case? Now, why do you view it's political, or why do you think you're political, or how did you avoid being political? Look, 
I'm not criticizing. I'm just giving my opinion. I think it would have been a lot more useful based on what actually took place. Go ahead. Including the Supreme Court, I am so disappointed in them. No judge, including the Supreme Court of the United States, has had the courage to allow it to be heard. Why was that? Why was it? Because they didn't bring a case, I guess, that met the normal criteria for being heard. And this is why this justice needed to be seriously challenged if you're going to bring up the subject rather than an attack on Trump. Because they didn't bring a case, I guess, that met the normal criteria for being heard. And what would that be? And what would that be? Go ahead. We decide to take a case. There have to be four votes to take it. So I can't go beyond that. What we do know is that there were not four votes to take it because it wasn't taken. And there are criteria, and uh, uh, if we don't take a case, it's, you know, I mean, the reason is in all likelihood is that the criteria weren't met. And uh, he doesn't tell us what the criteria are, but I will tell you the criteria were met. I just told you why they were met. The criteria were met. That Article 2, Section 1, Clause 2 was clearly violated more than once by the Supreme Court of Pennsylvania. And a couple of the justices understood that. The problem is we don't have a Justice Rehnquist as the Chief Justice anymore. We don't have a Justice Scalia on the court anymore. A couple of key justices, even Sandra Day O'Connor, understood. And there should have been four justices to take up this case. Because now it's opened, the door wide open to the changing of election laws by elements and forces and political institutions that have no authority to do so under Article 2, Section 1, Clause 2. This isn't about politicizing the court. This isn't about what Donald Trump said about the court. This is about the federal constitution. And you heard Breyer. He didn't give us a lot, but he gave us enough to make it abundantly clear including with his cackling like Kamala Harris, that he was never going to allow this to be taken up by the court because it didn't meet his criteria, not because it didn't meet constitutional criteria. Can you think of anything more clear-cut? The court takes up all kinds of goofy cases that I would argue don't meet constitutional criteria because they want to make decisions and impose their will or whatever it is. But this was a black-and-white letter law question. Each state shall appoint in such manner as the legislature thereof may direct a number of electors and so forth. The legislature thereof may direct. Not the state Supreme Court, not the governor, not the Secretary of State, not the Board of Elections. The court should have taken it up. The court should have said, It says what it says. There's no ambiguity whatsoever. It's not as if there's an abortion clause or something. There is no ambiguity about this. The legislative history, that is the constitutional history, I should say, is abundantly clear. No need using the cackle. And I wish I would have been there and been able to ask the question about Bush versus Gore, about Article 2, Section 1, Clause 2, about what the Florida Supreme Court had done, And what the Pennsylvania Supreme Court had done. I would have liked to know the difference from a constitutional matter, a substantive matter, 
and why they wouldn't take up the court and what criteria exactly he's talking about. That's why Justice Breyer would never come on my show. I'll be right back. Mark Levin. In today's digital age, where cyber threats loom larger than ever, safeguarding your personal information is paramount. So why is Congress considering a law that could put your credit card data at greater risk of being hacked and exposed to foreign networks? This Durbin Marshall credit card bill could jeopardize your financial data, make it more susceptible to cyber intrusions. It's a controversial bill that proposes a shift in billions of dollars worth of consumer transactions to payment networks that lack the robust security measures consumers rely on. Who could possibly want that? Well, the answer, woke corporate megastores seeking to inflate their multi-billion dollar profit margins. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill will undermine our safe and convenient payment systems and endanger your data security. It's time to take a stand. Visit electronicpaymentscoalition.org. Make your voice heard. Tell your senators to oppose the radical Durbin Marshall credit card bill paid for by the Electronic Payments Coalition. There's a number of matters that I want to discuss with you uh, this evening. And they all have a common theme. The level of lying that we are receiving from this administration. It is serial lying on major substantive issues that affect your lives. And the media complicity. Now we've been talking or hearing talk about booster shots. Get the booster shot, get the booster shot. And then suddenly, two of the most senior people at the FDA resigned. And why did they resign? Because they felt they were being pressured by the Biden administration to push booster shots before they felt the data was in, before the science was ready to support it. It got very minimal media attention, and it died within 24 to 36 hours. Now, the Associated Press this afternoon, with this headline, FDA experts among group opposing U.S. booster shot plan. The average person doesn't need a COVID-19 booster yet. An international group of scientists, including two top U.S. regulators, wrote Monday in a scientific journal, The experts reviewed studies of the vaccine's performance and concluded the shots are working well, despite the extra-contagious Delta variant, especially against severe disease. Even in populations with fairly high vaccination rates, the unvaccinated are still the major drivers of transmission at the stage of the pandemic, they concluded. So right now they're arguing, no, you don't need boosters yet. Uh, So the federal government is saying two things at the same time. You have these FDA experts among groups opposing U.S. booster shot plans. You have the Biden administration trying to push the date for booster shots up early. You have Fauci on TV, who will take both positions at the same time. You now finally have people on our favorite cable network and elsewhere talking about what do we mean by unvaccinated? What about natural immunity? People who actually have antibodies. Why would they be vaccinated again? And now the doctors are showing up, some of them saying, that's right, that doesn't make sense. And I raised questions, even on my Sunday show on Fox. I said, 
this 30% that's unvaccinated, what exactly does that mean? Some of them don't need to be vaccinated because they have natural immunity through the antibody because they already had the virus. So this is nature. This is the way these things work. So 70% are vaccinated and some percent of the 30 don't need to be vaccinated. So when Joe Biden tries to create a civil war between the vaccinated and unvaccinated as a weapon to attack you know, two governors, the governor of Florida and the governor of Texas, and as a weapon to try and deviate from his disaster in Afghanistan and elsewhere, you know, he should be condemned roundly. But he's not. So what is all this? So I went over and opened my book to page 198, American Marxism. 199. And you can see the nature of the beast that we're dealing with here. And uh, let me move it up to here. In his 1927 book, Propaganda Technique in the World War, Harold Dwight Laswell describes propaganda as a tool used by the press and others cloaked as learning and wisdom. He wrote, propaganda is a concession to the rationality of the modern world. A literate world, a reading world, a schooled world prefers to thrive on argument and news. It is sophisticated to the extent of using print, and he that takes to print shall live or perish by the press. All the apparatus of diffuse erudition popularizes the symbols and forms of pseudo-rational appeal. The wolf of propaganda does not hesitate to masquerade in the sheepskin. In other words, it's propaganda. All the viable men of the day, writers, reporters, editors, preachers, lecturers, teachers, politicians, are drawn into the service of propaganda to amplify a master voice. All is conducted with the decorum and the trappings of intelligence. For this is a rational epic and demands its raw meat cooked and garnished by adroit and skillful chefs. Now, this is deserving of a little bit more unraveling because we're going to continue to get into this as well as Afghanistan because this is the common thread, the endless lies. I'll be right back. Yes, it's true that Mark Levin is the fastest growing radio show in America. The Mark Levin Show is on at 877-381-3811. Let's pull some of this together. This AP story that broke a few hours ago, where now we have an international group of experts saying no, FDA experts among group opposing U.S. booster shot plan. The authors include two leading vaccine reviewers at the FDA, Drs. Phil Krauss and Marion Gruber, who recently announced they will be stepping down this fall. Among the other 16 authors are leading vaccine researchers in the U.S., Britain, France, South Africa, and India, plus scientists with the World Health Organization, which already has urged a moratorium on boosters. In the U.S., the White House has begun planning for boosters later this month if both the FDA and Centers for Disease Control and Prevention agree. Advisors to the FDA will weigh evidence about an extra Pfizer shot Friday at a key public meeting. 
Now, the reason these two resigned, and they are the two top experts at the FDA, not just two experts, Drs. Phil Krauss and Marion Grubers, they said the Biden administration was pressuring them to approve the boosters. Georgetown University's Larry Gostin said the paper throws gasoline on the fire in the debate about whether most Americans truly need boosters and whether the White House got ahead of the scientists. It's always a fundamental error process to make a scientific announcement before the public health agencies have acted, and that's exactly what happened here, said Gostin, who's also a lawyer and public health specialist. Now, they will not mock Biden. They will not admonish Biden in the corrupt media, which is why I went back to my book, page 199, and I'm telling you that these are lies. I want to get to this point again. Propaganda technique by Laswell describes propaganda as a tool used by the press and others cloaking or cloaked as learning and wisdom. Again, propaganda is a concession to the rationality of the modern world. A literate world, a reading world, a schooled world prefers to thrive on argument and news. It is sophisticated to the extent of using print, and he that takes to print shall live or perish by the press. And I wrote this in 1927. So it would include all forms of media, big tech, big media, radio, and the rest. All the apparatus of diffused erudition popularizes the symbols and forms of pseudo-rational appeal. The wolf of propaganda does not hesitate to masquerade in the sheepskin, that is, in the news. All the valuable men of the day, writers and reporters and so forth, are drawn into the service of propaganda to amplify a master voice. All is conducted with the decorum and the trappings of intelligence. For this is a rational epic and demands its raw meat cooked and garnished by the adroit and skillful chefs. Written almost a hundred years ago. Hannah Arendt wrote a book called The Origins of Totalitarianism. She escaped from the Holocaust or survived it. And here she talks about the population. Why do the people put up with this? She writes, before they seize power and establish a world according to their doctrines, totalitarian movements conjure up a lying world of consistency, which is more adequate to the needs of the human mind than reality itself, in which through sheer imagination, uprooted masses can feel at home and are spared the never-ending shocks which real life and real experiences deal to human beings and their expectations. The force possessed by totalitarian propaganda before the movements have the power to drop iron curtains to prevent anyone's disturbing by the slightest reality, the gruesome quiet of an entirely imaginary world lies in its ability to shut the masses off from the real world. The only signs which the real world still offers to the understanding of the unintegrated and unintegrating masses whom every new stroke of ill luck makes more gullible are the questions it does not care to discuss publicly, or the rumors it does not dare to contradict. And she's talking about the nature of totalitarianism. And Laswa was talking about the nature of mass propaganda. And you can smell the odor of both of them, can you not? You can smell the odor of both of them. As I was talking about the booster shot. 
But there's more than that. It applies to what took place in Afghanistan. The Democrat Party and the Biden administration have sent out their thugs and their surrogates to lie. To lie about what took place right in front of your eyes. I want you to listen to this, ladies and gentlemen. This is the Secretary of State, who is a disgraceful, shameless buffoon. Cut three, go. When President Biden took office in January, he inherited an agreement that his predecessor had reached with the Taliban to remove all remaining forces from Afghanistan by May 1st of this year. Okay, now we know from the document and the deal itself, that's not exactly what took place. There were conditions. And so what did the Democrats do today? What did they do at the Blinken? They lied about the conditions. That Trump surrendered. That Trump set the deadline. Cut five, Mr. Producer. More Blinken. Go. When you came into office on January 20th, we were committed. This is Brad Sherman, who is a complete uh, cluster punk. Go ahead. Everyone out of Afghanistan within three months by May 1st. Did the Trump administration leave on your desk a pile of notebooks as to exactly how to carry out that plan? Uh, Did we have a list of which Afghans uh, we were going to uh, uh, evacuate? Uh, What what does this have to do with anything, ladies and gentlemen? Yeah, you don't need notebooks and a list. You had a plan, a deal that was set out that had already been violated. It was being violated upon the election of Joe Biden. That's the bottom line. You don't need a list and notebooks, exactly how you're to accomplish these things. And by the way, if they needed those things and they needed more, why didn't they contact the Trump folks? They could have done that too, you know. Go ahead. And to get Americans from all over Afghanistan to Kabul and out in an orderly way. How meticulous was the planning for the Trump administration declared uh, May 1st uh, withdrawal? Thank you, Congressman. Uh, We we inherited a deadline. We did not inherit a plan. You're a liar. You're a liar. Now notice, they say they inherited a May 1 deadline, but they pushed the May 1 deadline. The 1st of September 11th, then they realized by their polling that was a bad idea. Then back to August 31st. They had no problem moving that deadline. President Trump has said, his advisors have said, the document says, May 1 wasn't the end all and be all. The Taliban had some requirements too. So this is what is meant when I read you passages from my book about propaganda And I read you passages from my book about the nature of totalitarianism and how it's accepted by the masses. Now, by the way, Blinken was also asked about a call that Biden had made to the then president of Afghanistan, Ghani, which Biden was pressuring him to lie. To lie. And he's asked this question by Christopher Smith, who's an excellent congressman, from Trenton, New Jersey. Cut six, go. Did you concur and support President Biden's July 23rd phone call telling President Ghani to be untruthful 
about the Taliban's success. According to Reuters, which reviewed both the transcript and the audio, President Biden said, quote, and there's a need, whether it be true or not, there is a need to project a different picture. Was that an ad lib by President Biden, or was, or was that lie scripted into the phone call? And if it was scripted, by who? Uh, first, with regard to the phone call you cited, I'm obviously not going to uh, comment on leaked, uh, uh, purportedly leaked uh, transcripts of phone calls. Here's what I can tell you. All right, hold on now. This nation was dragged through the hellhole by the Democrats and the media with their favorite colonel, among others. They had a whistleblower whose name they would not print other than actually courageous and real journalists because of a phone call and a phone transcript. Eventually, President Trump very quickly actually released it himself, said this is a perfectly fine call. You'll notice the Biden administration hasn't released the transcript on their own, have they? Why? Because it was a lousy call. Because what he did was unconscionable. Telling the head of a foreign country to lie so then he could turn around and lie to the American people, which Biden did anyway. And Ghani basically said, no, we're under attack. We're being invaded by foreign terrorists out of Pakistan. We need forward movement on air power as quickly as possible. And Biden blew him off. Sounds like a quid pro quo to me. And so here comes the Secretary of State says, I don't talk about leaked transcripts. Well, then the answer should be, then give us the other transcript, the one that's not leaked. We want to see that. But he wasn't going to comment on it. And Christopher Smith follows up, says, was the transcript untrue? I'm not commenting on any purported leaked transcript. I'm telling you, but based on my knowledge of the conversation the president said, and what he said is what he said in public. Really? So he will comment on that. He just won't comment on the transcript. The transcript's not true. Secretary of State's had long enough to figure out his answer. He should have said, it's not true, it's a fake, it's a phony. But he didn't say that. He wouldn't confirm it. And the Democrats are protecting their dictator. That's right, I said it. It's the closest thing to a dictator we've ever had, as far as I'm concerned. Then Christopher Smith follows up with a question I've been asking myself. Cut seven, go. Secondly, have any Americans been arrested, beaten, abducted, or killed by the Taliban or ISIS-K since we left? And do we have the capacity and the capability to know that? Yes. How many Americans have been killed over there by the business like Taliban? Go ahead. American citizens uh, remaining behind. The ones uh, we're in contact with, uh, we're in, we have 500 people on a task force that are, and, and teams dedicated. He didn't ask you about your task force or your bureaucracy or your red tape or your committees. And He asked you a very straightforward question. Go ahead. To be in regular contact with them. Uh, and I have not heard from those people uh, that concern raised. I, I can't say whether there are any American citizens who are not in contact with or don't know of who uh, may have been uh, mistreated in some fashion uh, in Afghanistan. So they have no idea. They have no idea if any Americans have been killed by the Taliban. None. None. And I knew they didn't. They pat themselves on the back for the fantastic job they've done. And they're liars. 
This is why I've written this book, American Marxism. It really, it really lays the foundation for so many things that are going on in this country. So many forces, so many organizations. The media, the Democrat Party. It's really quite, quite shocking how this is all breaking out now. We'll be right back. Lovin. So I'm going to answer, and uh, Los Angeles, Orange County specifically, a lot of people ask too. I'm looking at Amazon.com. American Marxism is number five right now. Let me read you the top ten. It ends with us, Colleen Hoover, a novel. Atomic Habits by James Clear, number two. Countdown Bin Laden, Chris Wallace, with, oh no, it's in tiny print, his co-author... I'm going to get Mitch Weiss. That is uh, number three. Leanne Morality. Or Morality, excuse me. Apples Never Fall, a novel. Number four. American Marxism, number five. So those are the top five. I want to encourage those of you who have not jumped in yet, or those of you who are contemplating getting copies for family, friends, colleagues, this is the week to act. This is the week to jump in. There are horrendous things on the horizon for us as a country now. The Democrats are focused heavily on turning this country inside out with this 3.5, really $5.5 trillion spending bill. And in this spending bill, they intend to pour everything. And they're going to get it passed if we're not as, as resolute as humanly possible. So if you've been thinking about it, or you've been thinking about spreading the word by getting copies for other people, honestly, I'd stop thinking about it. Now is the time. This week in particular. This week in particular. Because they're coming back to Washington, D.C. in full force, the Democrats are, and this is their number one agenda. And in that bill is amnesty for millions and millions of illegal aliens. In that bill is the nationalization of the voting system that we've talked about at length. In that bill is the most massive expansion of the welfare state in American history. Freebies for everybody. Massive debt. Massive tax increases. And that will include you. And that will affect inflation. You know, folks, I went into a a place that we normally go in to get some orange juice. They didn't have any orange juice. I said, why? We can't get oranges. The price of beef is through the roof. And Biden's attacking beef producers. You know why? The price of corn feed is through the roof. That's why the price of beef is expensive. You've gone through a drive-thru lately, a fast food? You see the prices. You see the, so- the shortages taking place. You see the inflation. You see it at the gas pump. Now's the time. Levinites, fellow patriots, now's the time to jump in. Get your copies of American Marxism. If you can, hand them out. Get them to family. Get them to friends. Get them to look in it, particularly Chapter 7. Particularly Chapter 7. It's the most unique book you will have ever written or purchased. Trust me on this. And I believe we're up to about 950,000 copies in all formats sold. Let's roll, baby. We got to get this done. Jump in on Amazon.com. 
Let's go, baby. I'll be right back. He's here. He's here. Now, broadcasting from the underground command post, deep in the bowels of a hidden bunker, somewhere under the brick and steel of a nondescript building, we've once again made contact with our leader, Mark Levin. See, that was painless. Going over to Amazon.com. 40% off. Can't beat that. Hello, America. I'm Mark Levin. Our number is 877-381-3811. So we have the Democrat Party now lying to cover up Afghanistan. And almost none of them seem concerned about the American citizens that are behind enemy lines, effectively hostages, the tens of thousands of patriotic Afghans who fought side by side with us. They just don't seem to care. Michael Morrell was the acting CIA director under Barack Melhouse Benito Obama. He's concerned. Cut eight, go. I think that the Taliban winning the war in Afghanistan and then the way our exit happened has absolutely inspired jihadists all over the world. Um, The Taliban is saying we just didn't defeat the United States. We defeated NATO. We defeated the world's greatest military power ever. So there's a celebration going on. We defeated the Soviet Union, then it fell. Now we've defeated NATO. Right? Maybe they can fall too. I think not only will jihadists be inspired, but a lot of them are going to come to Afghanistan to be part of the celebration, to be, hard, to be part of jihadist central. So after 9-11, they all scattered from Afghanistan. I think we're going to see a flow back in, and that's one of the things that makes Afghanistan more dangerous than other spots on the planet. Mm-hmm. And that's the truth. And that's the truth. So ask yourselves why the Democrat Party is lined up behind Biden. Why there's so few individuals in the Democrat Party who will speak out on the correct side of things. On the correct side of things. Now what about our eyes and ears now? What about our eyes and ears in that part of the world? You know, we pulled out 100%. Gee, was that in the Biden plan? In the uh, Trump plan? It's so easy to dispute and to counter these people. But, you know, I also noticed that Blinken was doing a video testimony. He was sitting at his desk. He didn't go in person. Why is that? Why is that? He goes in person to meet world leaders. He goes in person to meet his own staff. He goes in person throughout the Department of State and the Biden administration. So he couldn't be in person when he was being questioned? No, of course not. Now here's a question he was asked by Mike McCall, the ranking member on this oversight committee, that goes to the issue of intelligence. Cut 29, go. Bagram went down, the embassy went down, and we went dark. 
We have no eyes and ears on the ground. We've lost intelligence uh, capability in the region. And that includes Russia, China, and Iran, as you know. This is a national security threat as China moves in. For all I know, they may take over Bagram Air Base. But this over-the-horizon capability, I believe, is exaggerated. It's not a viable option. It's too far away. Did you negotiate with countries like Uzbekistan or, or Tajikistan to put an ISR capability there? And my last question, is it true that President Putin threatened the President of the United States saying he could not build intelligence capabilities in the region? Um, this, is an, this is an important question and one that in its detail and substance I think we need to take up uh, in another setting for reasons I know that you, you very much appreciate. Let me just say this uh, very broadly, and you, you, you know this very well given your, your focus and expertise on these issues. The terrorist threat has metastasized dramatically uh, over the last 20 years, and it's most acute in places like Yemen, uh, like Libya, uh, like Iraq, like Syria, uh, like Somalia. And, of course, uh, we have much greater... Hello, and like Afghanistan, you idiot. Especially Afghanistan. But go ahead. ...capabilities in 20 years ago in terms of dealing with that threat. Uh, and in many countries around the world, we deal with it effectively with no uh, U.S. boots on the ground. Uh, we lost some capacity, for sure, uh, in not having those boots on the ground in Afghanistan. But we have ways, and we are very actively working on that, uh, to, uh, to make up for that, to mitigate right, for that. Now, number one, we did a drone strike right after our 13 heroes were murdered. And we hit a father and his family, his wife and their seven children. He was a United States aid worker in Afghanistan. That's what happens when you don't have intelligence on the ground. Number two. We're not talking about putting troops everywhere, but we do have intelligence assets in many of these countries, human beings. Not just our own operatives, but operatives in other countries who assist us, and we rely on them. They're very, very important. Satellites alone don't do the trick. They don't do the trick. It's a combination of pieces of information gathered that need to be looked at. That's why we have a CIA. That's why we have a Director of National Intelligence. That's why we have a massive bureaucracy to go through these various uh, incoming pieces of information. But human intelligence is absolutely key. But we don't have human intelligence in Afghanistan anymore as a result of what they did. Of course, they blame Trump. Trump would never have done this, and he didn't do this. And I think that's one of the things that disgusts me most. These people have created a horrific situation, and they take responsibility for nothing. Trump didn't force a single piece of this. He didn't force Biden to do a damn thing. Secretary Pompeo didn't force Blinken to do a damn thing. National Security Advisor O'Brien didn't force Sherman to do a damn thing, or Sullivan to do a damn thing. They decided to do what they wanted to do on their calendar and in their way. They have no information to the contrary. None. And so you have Democrats at today's hearing circling the wagon. Brad Sherman. What a putz. 
What a clown. But he wasn't the only one. The biggest one was Blinken. So I'll answer Mike McCall's question. Obviously, Putin did threaten the United States. Obviously, he told Uzbekistan and all the other stands, you're not to assist the United States. And obviously, Biden, Blinken, and all the rest of them caved. Obviously, they caved. This is a huge, huge problem in so many ways. Tell me, do you think Vladimir Putin has any fear whatsoever of Joe Biden? Do you think Xi, the mass-murdering genocidal nutjob who runs China, do you think he fears Putin and uh, uh, Biden in any way? Of course not. Look at the uh, incest nutjob in North Korea. He's having a grand old time. He's popping off missiles. He's showing off like a kid in a candy store. The Iranians are laughing. Thanks to Biden, he's cleared the way for billions and billions to go to the Iranian regime, the Islamo-Nazi regime in Tehran. And what do you think they're doing with the money? They're moving heaven and earth to get their nuclear weapons. They all want to get as much done in the next three years as is humanly possible. And this guy Blinken is a disaster. A disaster. We don't trust Biden on science. When it comes to vaccines, he trashed the vaccines before they were developed. We don't trust Biden with our national security. We don't trust him with our economy, with the inflation rate through the ceiling. We don't trust him with our border. We've never seen anything like what's going on on the southern border. And the major media, the corrupt damn media in this country, reports nothing about it. Nothing. As I say, is the closest thing to a dictator we've ever had. No respect for the Constitution. No respect for separation of powers. And of course, the vaccine mandates. And the media right there, Cheryl Gay Stolberg, New York Times reporter. That's right. The same New York Times that covered up the Holocaust. The same New York Times that fronted for Stalin. The same New York Times that helped propel Castro into office. And all the deaths and horror that the New York Times doesn't want to attribute to its own contribution. No way. And now we have Cheryl Gay Stolberg, whoever the hell that is, on the Morning Joe show. Now he's a reputate of long standing. He's also an idiot. Cut 14, go. So, uh, Cheryl, what's next for, for uh, states like Mississippi uh, uh, and uh, South Carolina, hey, where hey. the governor said he'll go to the gates of hell? Uh, for for public health officials who actually want to protect... Now, here's the question, dumbass, with all due respect. So, uh, so, so Cheryl Gay Stolberg, here's the question for you. Two of the top FDA experts, the two top experts, says Cheryl, you're with me, they resigned because they felt they were being pressured, you see. Uh, they were being pressured by the Biden White House to approve a booster shot uh, before all the science is in, Cheryl. The politicization, may I say, of the science, Cheryl. Uh, what do you think about that, Cheryl? Go ahead. Uh, and the senior citizens of South Carolina, it's a bizarre thing, actually, to go to the gates of hell uh, for. But that's what the governor said he's going to do. What is next uh, in, in terms of legal challenges? 
So the governor can try to go to the gates of hell, but in fact, legal experts tell me that the president is in a pretty solid legal ground. And who are the legal experts? I'm just curious. Who are they? Doesn't matter. Go ahead. Citing the law that established OSHA. So you know that uh, if you have a factory, let's say, where you're exposing people to toxic fumes and it's going to kill them, OSHA can come in, give you a citation, and they can give you a, you know, if you are really a severe violator, they can take you to court. So the Biden administration is making the same case that this is a threat to workplace safety. No, 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 no. Let's slow down. Forcing people to get vaccinated is not the same thing as telling a business that you're letting loose toxic chemicals that are killing people in your business. Forcing people to get vaccinated is not the same thing as cleaning up the workplace. And she's talked to legal experts about this. That's not a legal question. That is, game-playing with scenarios. So, telling somebody they have to take a needle in the shoulder, and if that individual, or in the bicep, and if that individual has natural immunity, the antibodies, and is not a threat to anybody, that has nothing to do with toxins in the workplace. Number one. Number two... If somebody's unvaccinated in the workplace, and you say they're spreading the virus in the workplace, you're going to have to prove that. You can't just argue with platitudes. You're going to have to prove that. That's number two. Number three, the establishment of OSHA in 1971 didn't change all constitutional law. A statute doesn't change the Constitution. We talked about the cases on point from the Supreme Court, a handful of them, going back to the early 1900s and forward, um, including the Jacobson case, which the court created this balance and reasonableness test. And then the court, a little over 20 years later, ruled that, yes, forced sterilization of idiot women, their language, not mine, something to that effect, is constitutional. Now notice Joe Scarborough, as dumb as they get, And this, Cheryl Gay Stolberg, New York Times reporter, don't discuss that. Because they don't think about liberty or freedom. You must be a nut job, you see. Or the resignation of the two top FDA experts who said not so fast on the booster. We've had a lot of politicizing of this entire issue, which is why there's a lot of debate and a lot of people don't trust their government. Then we have the National Education Association, and I believe the AFT, both involved in pressuring the CDC when it comes to masks and vaccines. And what else is missing here from the Scarborough-Stolberg brain trust debate? This is the same administration that will allow approximately 2.5 million, give or take, illegal aliens into the country, not compelling a single one of them to be vaccinated. Some emergency, huh, folks? Not compelling a single one to be vaccinated. In fact, not even knowing if they are. And saying openly that that's something they're just going to have to deal with. 
or Ron Klein, Klein the chief of staff infections over there at the, uh, at the White House, who said that using OSHA was their get-around. Get-around what? Get-around the Constitution. Jonathan Turley's written about this. I've talked about this. They're trying to get around the Constitution. Oh, there's a constitutional issue. Oh, I see. So here we have multiple strikes. But I don't trust the radical left justices on the Supreme Court. I don't trust Hollywood John. I don't trust the two of the three justices who are on the court who uh, obviously lied to the President of the United States to get there. So this isn't so much a question of the Constitution as it will be whether or not we can cobble together five justices to do the right thing. But look the extent of the stupid and the stupid arguments that you have to hear. It's just quite remarkable. I'll be right back. Now we move to masks. Masks. When to wear masks, not to wear masks. If you did a timeline of what the government scientists and so-called experts were telling us about masks, it would be incomprehensible. And you already know this. You don't need me to remind you. No masks, yes masks. Masks inside but not outside. Masks inside and outside. Masks for everyone but rioters, Black Lives Matter, Antifa. Masks, yes, for Orthodox Jews in Brooklyn and and others. There's no rational position we've been given by the government on masks. Again, the politicization of masks. It's political science, not science. And this is appalling because we deserve better. The CDC, the National Institutes of Health, all this massive bureaucracy. Folks, you don't realize how many people are involved, how much money is spent, all the red tapes involved. I'll be right back. Levin, the research arm of conservative media. Call in now, 877-381-3811. We cannot require someone to be vaccinated. That's just not what we can do. Needless to say, the right of women to make decisions about their own bodies is not negotiable. No, definitely not. You don't want to mandate and try and force anyone to take a vaccine. We've never done that. Our interest is very simple from the federal government, which is Americans' privacy and rights should be protected. It is a matter of privacy to know who is or who isn't. We don't want to be mandating from the federal government to the general population. It would be unenforceable and not appropriate. Perhaps the federal government should step in and issue mandates. And if not, are you putting the needs of unvaccinated people ahead of the needs of vaccinated people? I think the question here, one, that's not the role of the federal government. No, I don't think it should be mandatory. I wouldn't demand to be mandatory. First, we must increase vaccinations among the unvaccinated with new vaccination requirements. 
and on and on and on and on. And by the way, as we've talked about ad nauseum, choices when it comes to medicine. If you're killing your baby, that's a choice. Unvaccinated, that's not a choice. And they don't have the science right. Over and over, I keep saying, what about those who have the antibody? Why in the world would they get vaccinated? And yet they're part of the 80 million they keep talking about. Now, I don't know about you, but when I want information about science and the best medical advice, I go to Randy Weingarten, the radical left-wing nutjob who runs the AFT, which is a radical left-wing nutjob union that has abused so many of your children by not teaching them. Just understand why the AFT exists. Same reason the NEA. To take care of their members. And all of you saw that over the course of the last 18 months to two years. All of you, regardless of your political pedigree. But Randy Weingarten, being an expert on masks, I guess she wears a lot of them. Here's what she said on MSLSD today. And by the way, notice how these news organizations cherry-pick their guests. Fox really does work to have a mix of guests and so forth. MSNBC and CNN, they could care less. Propaganda 24-7. Randy Weingarten adds nothing to nothing. Cut 15, go. Before COVID, no one would have debated whether the issue about keeping people safe and our kids safe was the most paramount responsibility we have. So I just Excuse me, excuse me, Dimwit. May I call you Dimwit? I think I will. We can point to major unions in major cities all over this country that could give a damn about safety. They were trying to shake down the taxpayers and the school boards for more money. And many of them got it. Got it. What about the intellectual progress? What about the actual education of the children? You know, before this, Weingarten, if that is your name, before this, nobody would have thought teachers would be against such things, but in many cases they are. Not the good teachers, of course. The majority of the union thugs. Them. Go ahead. ...what these governors are doing about this. So, do we know 100% Did she find it unconscionable what the Democrat Party governors were doing? Of course not. The death of senior citizens? Of course not. Did she find what Black Lives Matter was doing? City after city unconscionable? Of course not. Or Antifa? No. No, of course not. How about the inferior education or the lack of education that so many of our children get, hundreds of thousands of them in the inner cities because of a lack of school choice, because Weingarten and her ilk blocked them from getting educated Does she find that unimaginable and unconscionable? Of course not. Come on now. Go ahead. Being a vaccine will keep everybody 100% safe. Of course we don't know. We're not 100% certain. But what we have seen already within the schools that have opened over the course of the last... Why, why, Why is she even on TV? Is it her good looks? Must be. Why is she on TV? What does she offer? What does she contribute? What does she know? She's a special interest. That's all she is. A big, fat, special interest. The AFT. And she represents the AFT. Here I have an article. Local newspaper. The Sun Gazette. 
Great Falls, McLean, Oakton, Tyson's, Vienna, all Virginia. FCPS makes plans for infusion of COVID cash. That is the Fairfax County school system, by far the largest school system in the state of Virginia, one of the largest in the country. If Fairfax school leaders were leading a football game cheer, it might go like, Bula, Bula, we've got the moolah. Who wrote this? That's pretty good, actually. Anyway, the federal COVID moolah, that is. Fairfax school board members have agreed on a plan to spend nearly $190 million in elementary and secondary school emergency relief grant funding trickling down to the school system and approved directives guiding the school district as it addresses the ongoing impact of COVID. Now, Mr. Producer, wouldn't masks call a lot, cost a lot less than $190 million? The plan will work to ensure, quote, that staff have the tools to support student academic, social, emotional, and mental health, said Superintendent Scott Bradbrand. Sounds like a loser to me. Our plan identifies clear and consistent expectations for what schools should offer as high-quality academic content, addressing gaps and standards from the previous year and standards to cover this school year. Now, wait a minute. We've got the head of the thugs going on about we need safe schools, and then we have this superintendent saying we're going to spend $190 million. looks like the vast majority of it has nothing to do with COVID-19. School officials seldom publicly acknowledge it, but recently released state standards of learning test scores show what many have suspected. With most Fairfax public school students spending the past school year either fully or partially online rather than classrooms, educational achievement lags significantly. Test scores particularly cratered in science and math, especially at the lower grades. So you know what the answer is with the $190 million, ladies and gentlemen? What do you think the answer is, Mr. Producer? Hire more union members. Hire more teachers. You see, MSLSD and these other fraudulent, corrupt news organizations, they know what's going on, but they don't put the questions to these people. You ask here, what is being done to protect the students? You go on here and you talk about those places that did masking, upgraded ventilation, good social distancing, they're staying open. That's why we have to do this. Well, masking, upgraded ventilation, and good social distancing in Fairfax County doesn't require $190 million, does it, ladies and gentlemen? As I recall, $250 billion given out to school districts by you and me. So they have simple answers. The iron fist. Fire anybody who's not vaccinated. Because they say OSHA permits that. That's a lie. Nothing like that's ever even been tried. Everybody must wear masks. Another mandate. We may shut down businesses. We may shut down all kinds of places. One of the few people making... You know, for the first time in about 10 years, as I was on this flight, I needed something to do. You know, it's a five-hour flight. So I bought a couple of magazines... And one of them was National Review. I hadn't bought a National Review magazine, let's say, 10 years maybe, give or take. And I'm going through it. I'm going through it, and there's a piece in there. 
And this is the problem with National Review as a corporate position. They took a shot at DeSantis, that he was too extreme. Not their word, my word. Yes, you see, because his position on vaccines and the masks, just a little too much for National Review. They long for the days of Chris Christie. I'll get to him in a minute. The, uh, the Kate May Orca was at the Reagan Library. I guess they're doing now a whole conga line of rhinos and losers. And then, I don't know what's going on there, but they're losing their way, that's for sure. Maybe you should go to the uh, Gerald Ford Library instead these days. We'll see. I'm keeping an eye on this. But here's Ron DeSantis, one of the governors that makes actual sense and does follow the science. Cut 16, go. SB 2006 uh, that did a lot of different things. Um, It it prevented uh, private businesses from requiring proof of vaccination to just do normal things like go to a movie or go to a restaurant, vaccine passports. Uh, But that also applied uh, to government agencies. And so if a government agency in the state of Florida uh, forces uh, a vaccine as a condition to employment, that violates Florida law, and you will face... Now let me stop us. As I listen to Governor DeSantis, and I listen to the others who are demanding mandates and so forth, if you were in communist China or fascistic Russia or Islamo-Nazi Iran and so forth, whose position would line up more closely to theirs? Ron DeSantis's position? No. The Biden et al. position would. Go ahead. And you will face a $5,000 fine for every single violation. And so if you look at uh, places here um, in Alachua County, like the city of Gainesville, I mean, that's millions and millions of dollars potentially in fines. Orange County, many, many more than that. All right. So here's what the Democrats are doing. They're loading up these school districts with a quarter of a billion, excuse me, quarter of a trillion dollars or so. The vast majority of it is not being used to change HVAC systems and all the rest of it. The vast majority of it's being used to go through the union pockets and the pockets of administrators and to push their usual agendas, you know, critical race theory, transitioning, and all the rest. Gee, I wonder why standards are going down. They're not going towards, the vast majority is not going towards these health issues. Certainly not in Fairfax County, Virginia, or Loudoun County, Virginia, where I live. So they keep milking the taxpayer for more and more money, milking, milking, demanding more and more mandates, more and more protections for their union members. So the students are the losers, the taxpayers are the losers, the rest of the American people are the losers. This is a scam. Now, I've asked, and I'll ask again, of the 80 million, maybe uh, Media Matters or Mediaite, maybe the Daily Beast, the Huffington Post, and the other sleazy Soviet-style operations, maybe they can tell us what percentage of the 80 million that Biden talks about are already immune. What percentage? I mean this seriously. If you have an easy answer, give it to us. I'll announce it tomorrow. And how much of this 200 and $250 billion is actually going to what 
Randy Weingarten said, masks, social distancing, and HVAC systems, because she thinks those three will do the trick. How many? How much? I don't think you need 200 and 250 billion to do that. Do you, America? I'll be right back. People could get up at some ungodly hour in California, fly all the way across the country, back to Virginia, race from the airport to the bunker, and be prepared to do a three-hour show, Mr. Producer. He says Joe Biden. Obviously, he's drinking on the job. This is in my blood. Of all the things I do professionally, radio is number one to me. And it always has been. As a little kid, my transistor radio, which was powered by an 8-volt battery, listening to talk radio, all the greats, the little antenna, middle of the night, trying to, trying to get the best reception I possibly could, breaking my bedtime hour and all the rest of it. This is my first love of my, all my professional pursuits. I love everything else I do. Please don't get me wrong. Some people are in radio. They consider it a drag. It's too much work. Or, I don't know, or a stepping stone to something else. That's not the way I view radio. This is what I love to do. Because you and I, we get to spend several hours a day with each other, which we otherwise wouldn't have. Now, it's true when you're on TV and you walk down the street, you're more recognized. But that's not something I live for. Remember, my favorite movie is Patton. I've probably seen it 25 times. But that opening speech on Patton, many, many brilliant things, wonderful things are said, including, glory is fleeting. Glory is fleeting. So some people in this business or the TV business or Hollywood or whatever, they think they're a big deal. They're not a big deal. When they're gone, they'll be somebody else. But the goal is while you're here to try and improve your environment, try and improve the world or the situation you're in. And that's why I'm here. We have a powerful hour left. Don't leave us. But on during the break, I'll meet you again over at Amazon.com. How about that? See you in a minute. He's here. He's here. Now, broadcasting from the underground command post, deep in the bowels of a hidden bunker, somewhere under the brick and steel of a nondescript building, we've once again made contact with our leader, Mark Levin. All right, America, let's jump in with both feet. Here we go. Over at Just the News, a great site. John Solomon's site, Department of Education opened civil rights investigation into Florida ban on mask mandates. 
You can see the enormous destruction to our constitutional system, to the police powers of the states, to the undermining the authority of states vis-a-vis their school systems. You can see the, the centralization of power that is taking place, whether it is the virus, whether it's taxation, whether it is voting. We are under assault. The entire system is under assault. New CDC figures appear to bolster Governor DeSantis' argument for parental choice over mask mandates, says Just the News. So the Biden administration, Department of Education, has opened a civil rights investigation into the governor's executive order banning mask mandates in schools on the same day that the First District Court of Appeals reinstated the ban after it had been blocked by Leon County, Florida, Circuit Judge. And now we have the activist judges. The... Department of Education's Office of Civil Rights said in a letter Friday addressed to Florida Education Commissioner Richard Corcoran that it was opening a direct investigation of whether the governor's statewide ban maybe it wasn't a statewide ban. He said parents get to choose. I mean, it's a ban in the sense that schools can't mandate, but it's not a ban in the sense that that if parents want their kids to wear masks, they can wear masks. Anyway, what is the, the subterfuge here? Whether the governor's statewide ban may be preventing school districts in the state from considering or meeting the needs of students with disabilities. Students with disabilities, Mr. Producer? What does this have to do with students with disabilities? A heightened risk for severe illness from COVID. You see, what they've done is they've created this massive leviathan they want to double its size in two weeks. And they're using this Leviathan, which is an appendage of the Democrat Party and vice versa. Let's be honest. So they've used the CDC to go after landlords and guns. They're using OSHA to go after, quote-unquote, the unvaccinated. They're using the Department of Education to violate federalism and the Tenth Amendment and to go after a governor. But you have nothing to fear, of course. Nothing to fear. It's appalling. And you're paying for it. There's a terrific piece here at CNS News, a real news site, by our friend Terry Jeffrey. Americans spent more on taxes in 2020 than they did, ready, on food, clothing, health care, entertainment combined, according to newly released data from the Bureau of Labor Statistics. Now, Terry goes into this stuff in detail. American consumer units, that would be you, your consumer unit, birthing people. Oh, they got all kinds of names for human beings. But this is what the Bureau of Labor Statistics calls you, a consumer unit, spending a net total of 17211 cents on taxes last year, while spending only $16,839.89 on food, clothing, health care, and entertainment combined. Consumer units, BLS explains, include families, single persons living alone or sharing a household with others, but who are financially independent or two or more persons living together, blah, 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 blah. The point is this. More Americans paid more in taxes in 2020 than on the bare necessities, food, clothing, health care, and entertainment. And the government wants more of your money. And the government's creating shortages. And the government's creating a massive welfare state. And the government's opening our borders to millions of illegal aliens. That's your government. 
So most of you, or many of you, for sure, have spent more on taxes than on food, clothing, healthcare, and entertainment combined. What do you think the founding fathers would say about that? What do you think the founding... But the bloated Kate Mayorka, Chris Christie... Now, by the way, I guarantee Chris Christie spends more on food than taxes, Mr. Producer. Simply no question about that. This guy thinks he's presidential material. He's a blowhard. He goes to the Reagan Library. I have friends who go to the Reagan Library events all the time. They live around that area and so forth. And they went to this event, even though they don't like Chris Christie. And he told me about maybe 250 people were there. I read a report that said 300 people were there. I'm there, 1,500 people are there. And we sell out in hours. Chris Christie, they probably have to hand out tickets to homeless people. So he has no backing, but the media were thrilled with it. Oh, the media were all over. You ready for this? The American Marxist movement is all around us. Our schools are under attack. Our borders are under attack. Our constitutional system's under attack. Our courts are under attack. Our finances and economic system are under attack. And what does Chris Christie have to say at the Reagan Library? Cut 10, go. As Republicans, we need to free ourselves from the quicksand of endless grievances. We need to turn our attention to the future and stop wallowing in the past. We need to face the realities of the 2020 election and learn, not hide from them. We need to discredit the extremists in our midst the way we've done it before. And we'll discuss that. By the way, does he have a bologna sandwich in his mouth? It sounds like it. Go ahead. We need to renounce the conspiracy theorists and the truth deniers, the ones who know better and the ones who are just plain nuts. Wow. So profound. Hey, uh, Chris, you can call into this program. Let's talk about one state in particular, big state, Pennsylvania. We don't have to talk about voting machines or ballots or anything of the sort. Let's talk about the Constitution. Mr. Producer, Mr. Call Screener, if somebody calls up and their name happens to be Chris Christie, let them through. I want to discuss this with you, Chris. Let's talk about Pennsylvania. I already made a public offering to Paul Ryan. He's a coward. He didn't show up. Are you a coward too, Chris? I said, are you a coward too, Chris? I want to discuss Pennsylvania with you. Not voting machines, not ballots. I want to decide, discuss the United States Constitution, Chris. And you have more than 200 or 300 people. You have millions of people. Now, you're a tough guy. You like to debate, right? Right, tough guy? Good Lord. All the things going on in the country. That's what he has to say at the Reagan Library. Your liberty's under attack. Look what just happened in Afghanistan. Look what happened in Afghanistan. Look what's happening on the border. He goes to the Reagan Library because he wants a cheap headline. Yes, yes, right, Chris? You want a cheap headline. That's right. I've got an open line for you, brother, whenever you want. Just want to pick one state, Pennsylvania. 
I don't want to talk about ballots. I don't want to talk about voting machines. I want to talk about Pennsylvania. Two cases in Pennsylvania. Oh, the crazies out there, the crazies. You sound like a crazy ass to me, to be perfectly honest with you. Yes, you do. But what do I know? I don't even know you. What, have you been on the show once? When you decided to run for governor? Something like that, right, Rich? He was praising the hell out of me, remember? I listen to you every time when we drive home. <laughs> anyway, more than happy. And by the way, Chris, I'll treat you with respect. Until you raise your voice, then I'll deal with it. But I'm more than happy to have a debate with you. Let's focus in on Pennsylvania. Let's focus in on what the state Supreme Court did. Let's talk about U.S. Supreme Court precedent. Let's talk about the United States Constitution. And let's talk about what damage was done by the fact that that state Supreme Court got away with this. And that wasn't resolved by the U.S. Supreme Court the way they did Florida. That's all. And tell your handlers, Chris, whomever they are, and I suspect I know who they are. Tell your handlers, Chris, that they, they mean nothing to me. You want to run for president? President of what? The Kiwanis Club? I don't even think they would have you. I'll be right back. Lovin. Well, it's a pleasure to introduce a friend of mine, longtime radio host on WABC and elsewhere, and uh, founder of the Guardian Angels, Curtis Sliwa. How are you, my friend? Oh, slugging it out 24 hours a day. But you know me, Mark. I never sleep. And I'm in the battle of my life to save New York City from a continuation of Democrats. The worst governor we ever had, Cuomo. The worst mayor we've ever had, de Blasio. And now the guy who's embraced both of them, Eric Adams, who's saying, trust me, vote for me. That'll be three in a row if the voters do that. And I've got to stop that. I've got to save our city and convince a lot of Democrats to vote for me instead. Well, I want to give you the opportunity to do that and to attract support from around the nation here, too, financial and otherwise, because... Eric Adams is playing sort of the uh, Joe Biden rope-a-dope game, that he's kind of a moderate, somewhat of an elder statesman. He's got this wonderful background and so forth and so on. But he's really not, is he? No, no. And in fact, just to give you an idea, we saw what happened to our colleague, uh, Mike Kumbadichich, as I call him, Rudy Giuliani. You remember what happened on 9-11. You remember how he kept us informed. He really was everyone's mayor. And at the uh, commemoration, the 20th anniversary on Saturday, he was bumped for Nancy Pelosi. Bumped. And this was a decision made by, obviously, Biden and the local Democrats not to allow Rudy to be seated right in the front where he prominently deserved to be. Unbelievable. You see, this is what is happening about anything involving Republicans, so that Eric Adams is a new wave of Democrats who have learned, just like in the case of Biden, say whatever you have to in order to get elected. Try to create this image. You're a moderate. You're not siding with AOC, all out crazy, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, the Democrat Socialists of America, that you're pro-police. So you can bamboozle not only moderate Democrats, but Republicans and independents. They saw it, 
as a successful road, uh, road to victory for Joe Biden, and he's taking the same track. Except the problem is, in this case, you know me, Mark, I'm in every neighborhood where the last Republican they saw in New York City is Abraham Lincoln on a $5 pill, and I fully <laughs> received, because they've been there for 42 years. Yeah, no, that's quite, that's quite true. And, and here's the other thing. You're not uh, sort of a doctrinaire party guy. You call him as you see him. Uh, you're a common sense guy. You're a, a sort of a neighborhood guy. And um, you're not embraced by all these radical kooks and so forth. And uh, Adam's is. So the very people he says he's not one of are organizing to get him elected. So there must be something that they want from this guy. Oh, he's getting wine-dined and pocket-lined. And his mentor, let me just say, it's three words, Al Slim Shady Sharpton. That's mm. it. That's his mentor. That's the guy who has guided him uh, from a local political base as a person who was in charge of 100 blacks in, in law enforcement. They were always adversaries of the police department. Uh, and Sharpton has created this image and helped him sort of gain stature to the point where he can run for mayor. He won the Democratic primary. But I'll tell you this, he has no compassion. Mark, people are amazed at the number of homeless and the emotionally disturbed persons that I take care of and have been doing so with the Guardian Angels for 42 years because these are really lost souls. And I think what most touches, uh, no matter who they are, whether they voted for Trump or Biden or their independents, is my love of animals like yourself. Uh, I believe in no-kill shelters. When I'm mayor, we're never again going to put to death a dog, a cat, or another animal. We will find them a home Amen. of their own. And that crosses all political lines, mm -hmm. all politically, because it's compassionate. And that's really what we need more of in politics instead of just numbers, analytics, and uh, sort of uh, a lack of humanity. That's what it appears to be. The Democrats say they're progressive, but they've progressively been driving us right into the abyss and showing no humanity, no compassion. Look in Afghanistan. I, I can't escape those images of women crying, the elderly and the children. And so where's our compassion, our humanity? Mark, everyone agreed at some point we had to leave Afghanistan. There's no doubt about it. But there's a right way. And it's a wrong way, and we turned our backs on these people, many of them who will die as a result of their loyalty to us, will die a horrible death. Where is the compassion? Where is the humanity amongst these Democrats? Now, a lot of the country are not familiar with all these boroughs in New York, and these are big boroughs with a lot of people in them. Which are the most Republican or Republican-leading boroughs? Which are the most Democrat and Democrat-leading boroughs? I mean, I know, but I want you to explain it. Well, there are five boroughs, and there's approximately close to 9 million people. 5% live on the island, and it truly is an island because politically it is so different than the rest of the city. It is a red island. It is a Republican island. It is Staten Island. It is the reason, Mark, that I'm running for mayor of the city of New York, because against their own party leadership, they nominated me to be the mayoral candidate. And now my battle is in the other four boroughs, of which many of your listeners originally were from, Brooklyn and Queens, the Bronx and Manhattan. And they're all blue. I mean, we're talking an eight-to-one registration rate 
of Democrats to Republicans. And those Republicans who used to be on the rolls, either they passed away and they're in heaven, or maybe someone straight to hell without an asbestos suit, or they fled to Florida, North Carolina, South Carolina, Georgia, Virginia, Texas, Tennessee, and the exodus continues because it's an unlivable city, no quality of life, there's no zero tolerance towards crime. They vilified Rudy Giuliani, who saved us in 1993, and they view what he did as having been offensive to people of color, and yet you look now, Mark, you look at the horrific number of shootings, the stabbings, the killings, the attacks of emotionally disturbed persons who need mental health care and their medicine, and it's almost all by people of color against people of color. You mean to tell me it's a better city in this, in this case than the city that Rudy Giuliani inherited when there were 2,000 murders a year, 5,000 most unsolved sh shootings, and we went from being the crime capital, the murder capital, to the safest big city in America in the eight years of the Giuliani administration. And he attributes a lot of that to the help that I gave him with the guardian angels in our patrol in the roughest, toughest inner city neighborhoods of this city and on the subways. You know, um, I look at you and your campaign. I look at Aldering, California. These are blue, blue, blue areas. And yet, are the people who live in these areas, if they'll take off their Democrat team suit and really think about it, are they really happy? Are these really the kinds of areas they want to live in, the way they're being treated? The people in New York have an opportunity for a new day. And I would strongly encourage you to vote for Curtis Sleeva. Now, Curtis, if people want to contact or donate, where do they go? Quickly. Curtis Sliwa for Mayor.com. That's Curtis Sliwa for Mayor.com. Help me save our city so that New York City residents don't flee to your, your states and turn your purple and maybe blue. All right, Curtis, good luck, my friend. I shall return. Levin, America's mentor of conservatism. Call now at 877-381-3811. You've got a recall election out there in California tomorrow. Some of you have already voted. Many of you are going to vote in person. I want to address this in a moment as well. Huge election in California tomorrow. I all hear the pundits writing it off. You folks, you can make a big difference, you know. You folks in California, you can start a brush fire. You really can. I want you to listen to uh, some of what uh, Larry Elder and I discussed on Sunday on Life, Liberty, and Levin. Can't play it all, but I want to play a few, uh, few clips and encourage you strongly to vote to throw out Newsom. And, of course, for Larry Elder. And uh, on my show last night, and he told me he was going to break this story, he did a breaking story about uh, Rose McGowan and the pressure that was placed on her by Newsom's wife to basically shut her mouth about Weinstein. And he told me he was going to do this, and I said, go for it. Cut 24, go. You've heard the allegation that Rose just made about Gavin Newsom's wife. She made the allegation, what, three days ago? Where's the Washington Post? Wrote the article about me. Where's the New York Times? Wrote the article about me. Where's CNN? Where's Politico? Where are you? If this had been made about me, my girlfriend is standing over there. If All right, let me, let, me, let me correct this. This isn't from my show. This is today. Go ahead. 
contacted on behalf of Attorney Boys, who's Harvey Weinstein's lawyer, and called Rose McGowan and said, what can we do to make you go away? What can we do to make this happy? That's all you guys will be talking about between now and the end of my campaign. This is a double standard to which I've been subjected to my entire time, and I'm sick of it. And you ought to be sick of it. Where's your integrity? Where's your fairness? Now, what Rose said about Gavin Newsom's wife is a bombshell. This is a man who other, the other day, because he was trying to do a counterpoint of me, women are smarter than men. Women are more, more, they're, more they're better politicians. They're, they're more, they're, 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 they're better, they're better, they're better. Where is he? Where are you? His wife contacts Rose and says, what can we do to make you happy? What can we do to make this story go away? Right before the Harvey Weinstein story blew up. That's all you guys would be talking about if the allegation were made about me or my significant other. Mm-hmm. Now, here's what Rose McGowan actually said at this press conference. Cut 23, go. It gives me no pleasure to be the bearer of, like, truth, which is sometimes ugly. But do you want a society that has gangrene on its leg but puts on a fancy suit and pretends it's not there while they hobble in pain? Or do you want to just stop, look at reality, take your medicine, clean up the wound, and run run free why not change why not go big why not put a stake in the heart of evil because that's what this really is this is good and this is evil and if you're tired of people looking at this country like it's the florida of the world which it is looked upon that way because you know it's earned it in a lot of ways um i know this place has it in it to be better i know it does I've met so many good people in this country, not the elites, absolutely not. But the person I meet, you know, that's the housekeeper at the hotel I'm staying at, um, who shouldn't even have that title because she's a queen of a woman. And then we have the Jennifer Siebel Newsoms of the world. Mm-hmm. Why? Why do you keep choosing that? Why do you keep electing that? Don't listen to their buzzwords, cult leaders which is what these people are. I would know I grew up in one, like I said. They massage your mind. They keep you in fear. They keep you in doubt. Uh-huh. They do all those things. Larry Elder, Cut 25 on Life, Liberty, and Levin. Go. You know, it's amazing, uh, Larry Elder, is if you were a radical left-wing Democrat, and if you were running against a white governor who was a Republican who had this record, you would be supported by all the newspapers in California. You'd be supported by the national media. Um, you, you, would, you would be celebrated. And yet the opposite has happened here. Now, according to a piece in the LA Times, a column by Erica D. Smith, and of course the LA Times de- decides what's going to be run in their newspaper, Larry Elder is the black face of white supremacy. You've been warned. White supremacy. Isn't that amazing? You have these white Hollywood multimillionaire actors, white big tech types. You've got white George Soros. You've got white Bernie Sanders, white Elizabeth Warren. You've got white Newsom, yet you're the white supremacist. Isn't the reason they call you this? They don't really want to confront you on the issues. You're a brilliant man. They don't like the fact that you have an African-American here who actually believes in liberty and capitalism and school choice and all the things all these white 
elitists, or I'll call them white supremacists in the Democrat Party using their own language, oppose. Isn't that what's going on here? That's exactly what's going on here. They've called me the black face of white supremacy because they cannot defend this man's record. Mark, the former Senate Majority Leader, Democrat named Gloria Romero, she's still a Democrat, has crossed party lines and now supports me, primarily because of the issue of school choice, which I support. Black and brown parents, according to the polls, want school choice, yet they vote for Democrat after Democrat after Democrat, when the largest impediment to school choice is the California Teachers Union, the most powerful union in the state, the largest funder of my opponent, Gavin Newsom. And they're scared to death, God forbid, this kid uh, from the hood who went to public school breaks this Jedi mind trick stranglehold that the Democrats have had over black and brown voters. That's why they're so deathly afraid. And that's why uh, Bernie Sanders had cut a commercial for him, and Obama cut a commercial for him, and Senator Warren did, and nobody uttered the following words, Mark. Gavin Newsom has done a good job for the people of California. They call it a Republican takeover because they cannot defend the man's record. California is an opportunity to save itself. These opportunities don't present themselves often, and in many states they don't present themselves at all. Part of the problem is, of course, in California they've bought off a significant percentage of the population the teachers' unions and other public sector unions get whatever they want out of Gavin Newsom. It's no big deal to Gavin Newsom to spend your hard-earned tax money to give it to somebody else. That's what he does. The, uh, The environmental Marxists have enormous power in California. That's why the price of your homes in California have gone through the roof and why a young couple can barely afford to even live there. The reason you don't have water is because they won't take the resources that they do have to invest in improving the water systems there and making it more available rather than pouring it in the Pacific Ocean. Instead, they spend it on extravagances like failed subway system. The reason you have these horrific wildfires is, again, because of the failure of the state government to control your forests. They'll call it climate change because they blame other people for their own failures. And I could go on and on and on. California is starting to depopulate. That is, the productive people in California are starting to leave. While the state is overrun with aliens. Look at your major cities in California. Los Angeles is ungovernable now. San Francisco was the most beautiful city, I thought, in the country. Now most people don't even want to live there, let alone go there. And they're not the only ones. Most of the other major cities are facing the same thing. And the way the virus was handled, the let them eat cake administration. While Newsom and his family were living one way, everybody else was expected to live another way. If you wanted to go to a store that sells booze, it would be open. If you wanted to go to church, it would be closed. If you wanted to riot in the streets and burn things down and attack cops, you were treated one way, very liberally. On the other hand, if you were religious and you wanted to go to church or synagogue, you were treated another way, with the iron fist. California is a state not in decline, it's already declined. It's in a state of extremis. Its schools don't work. Law enforcement is undermined. The cities are filthy. 
Newsom, like Jerry Brown in his second go-round, inherited a beautiful state doing beautiful things. A state that gave us Reagan and Duke Majin and Wilson. Three tremendous governors. Everybody used to say, go to California, go to California. When I was a kid growing up in Philadelphia, that's what they would say. That's the land of opportunity. Not anymore. The question is whether or not there are enough people in California to take matters into their own hands and control the outcome of the state or whether they've just bought off too many people. Californians have an opportunity. And what I would encourage you to do if you live in California, if you haven't voted, obviously vote. But be responsible for five or ten other people. You've heard me say this before. It's up to you. It's not up to anybody else. It's going to be up to you. And we'll see what happens. And I want to salute Larry Elder. He's a gutsy man. He didn't have to put up with this stuff. His enormously successful career. But he said, if I don't step up and fight this, who the hell's going to do it? If I don't step up and take this on, who's going to do it? And here you have a black man who grew up in Los Angeles, <coughs> went to public schools, succeeded, became a lawyer, a successful radio host. Aren't we told this is what we expect? Running against a golden shoe in his mouth, liberal, white, Democrat, who had to fight for nothing. Nothing. Supported by many of the same people who've had to fight for nothing. They don't believe in diversity of thought or diversity of color. Larry Elder's the guy. Vote this bastard out. This Newsom, he's a disaster. I'll be right back. in. After the show, if you haven't already, take a trip over to Amazon.com and acquire your copies of American Marxism. If you've already purchased a copy, think about your family, friends, colleagues, and neighbors spreading the word. We're in for a huge, huge battle in the next week or two on what the Democrats want to do to our country. And this is confronted in the book. It's confronted in the book. I explain where this is coming from and the battles we need to engage in. So we cannot leave it to other people. We cannot simply leave it to the Republican Party. It does concern me that the phrase American Marxism still is not being used on cable TV, on radio shows, and so forth. I don't know what the fear is. Maybe people are concerned about being called names. But we've got to break loose from that. We've got to explain exactly what's taking place in this country. You have got to be the leaders, and you are, or you wouldn't be listening to this show. We stand on the shoulders of the people who founded this country and the people who defended this country. Now it's our turn. It's more daunting in many ways, more complicated in many ways, because it's from within. And what I preach here is peace and nonviolence, but action, action, knowledge, ideas, 
American Marxism is that book. I think it's the book for our times. So please acquire a copy if you already have. Think about gifting it as soon as you possibly can. Because time is short. They're coming back. And they intend to try and ram through the most radical agenda in American history. The book is called American Marxism. 950,000 copies in all forms have sold. We need to spread the word. Let me see if we have a moment or a little bit of time to take some calls here. Dennis, Kansas City, Missouri, the great KCMO. We only have a minute, Dennis. Go right ahead, please. Okay. Mr. Levin, thank you so much for taking my phone. It's really a privilege to talk to you. And uh, first of all, I want to thank you know your producer, and I want to ta- uh, thank the person that is screening their phone. And uh, before anything, I really want to, uh, my prayers and uh, my thought go to the 13th service member that killed in mm-hmm. August 26th in Kabul Airport in Afghanistan. Uh, I cried. I don't know them, but I cried. But I cried why? Because we share the same value, the uniform, the U.S. uniform. I was a translator. I was an Arabic translator in Iraq. So I felt for those men that are killed by uh, by suicide in the airport. And mm-hmm. my heart go to the citizen, the U.S. citizen that's already still behind, uh, and the uh, the Afghanistan, the translator that helped us uh, capture or, or that killed Osama bin Laden. Uh, and and I, I just you know these men if they get captured if they did not come here or go to a country that you know give them freedom, this translator will be killed. They will be, mm-hmm. they will be tortured and killed. These men, you know, this uh, uh, Al Qaeda, this they, uh, Al Qaeda and the Afga- and the um, uh, the Afghan military. Dennis, first of all, I have to go. So hard. Secondly, I want to thank you for helping our country for your patriotism. Third, you're exactly right. What this administration has done to these other interpreters and other is is a sin. Is a sin. And God bless you. Don't hang up. We're going to send you a signed American Marxism. And God bless you all. Thank you all for being there. I mean it. See you tomorrow. <laughs>